0: Part 1 of Plessy v. Ferguson This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kelly Robinson in Birmingham, Alabama. Plessy v. Ferguson, an opinion of the United States Supreme Court. Decided on May eighteenth, 1896. Please note, part one is a reading of the opinion of the court only. For ease of listening, this reading omits legal citations and footnotes found within the text of the court's opinion. Mr. Justice Brown delivered the opinion of the court. This case turns upon the constitutionality of an act of the General Assembly of the State of Louisiana, passed in 1890, Providing for separate railway carriages for the white and colored races. The first section of the statute enacts that all railway companies carrying passengers in their coaches in this state shall provide equal but separate accommodations for the white and colored races, by providing two or more passenger coaches for each passenger train, or by dividing the passenger coaches by a partition, so as to secure separate accommodations, provided that this section shall not be construed to apply to street railroads. No person or persons shall be permitted to occupy seats in coaches other than the ones assigned to them, on account of the race they belong to. By the second section it was enacted that the officers of such passenger trains shall have power, and are hereby required, to assign each passenger to the coach or compartment used for the race to which such passenger belongs. Any passenger, insisting on going into a coach or compartment to which by race he does not belong, shall be liable to a fine of twenty-five dollars, or in lieu thereof, to imprisonment for a period of not more than twenty days in the parish prison, and any officer of any railroad, insisting on assigning a passenger, to a coach or compartment other than the one set aside for the race to which said passenger belongs shall be liable to a fine of twenty-five dollars or in lieu thereof to imprisonment for a period of not more than twenty days in the parish prison and should any passenger refuse to occupy the coach or compartment to which he or she is assigned by the officer of such railway said officer shall have power to refuse to carry such passenger on his train, and for such refusal neither he nor the railway company which he represents shall be liable for damages in any of the courts of the state. The third section provides penalties for the refusal or neglect of the officers, directors, conductors, and employees of railway companies to comply with the act, with the proviso that nothing in this act shall be construed as applying to nurses attending children of the other race the fourth section is immaterial the information filed in the criminal district court charged in substance that plessy being a passenger between two stations within the state of louisiana was assigned by officers of the company to the coach used for the race to which he belonged But he insisted upon going into a coach used by the race to which he did not belong neither in the information nor plea was his particular race or color averred the petition for the writ of prohibition averred that petitioner was seven-eighths caucasian and one-eighth african blood that the mixture of colored blood was not discernible in him and that he was entitled to every right privilege and immunity secured to citizens of the united states of the white race and that upon such theory he took possession of a vacant seat in a coach where passengers of the white race were accommodated and was ordered by the conductor to vacate said coach and take a seat in another assigned to persons of the colored race and having refused to comply with such demand he was forcibly ejected with the aid of a police officer and imprisoned in the parish jail to answer a charge of having violated the above act the constitutionality of this act is attacked upon the ground that it conflicts both with the thirteenth amendment of the constitution abolishing slavery and the fourteenth amendment which prohibits certain restrictive legislation on the part of the states number one that it does not conflict with the thirteenth amendment which abolished slavery and involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime is too clear for argument slavery implies involuntary servitude a state of bondage the ownership of mankind as a chattel or at least the control of the labor and services of one man for the benefit of another and the absence of a legal right to the disposal of his own person properties and services this amendment was said in the slaughterhouse cases to have been intended primarily to abolish slavery as it had been previously known in this country and that it equally forbade mexican peonage or the chinese coolie trade when they amounted to slavery or involuntary servitude and that the use of the word servitude was intended to prohibit the use of all forms of involuntary slavery of whatever class or name it was intimated however in that case that this amendment was regarded by the statesmen of that day as insufficient to protect the colored race from certain laws which had been enacted in the southern states imposing upon the colored race onerous disabilities and burdens and curtailing their rights in the pursuit of life liberty and property to such an extent that their freedom was of little value and that the fourteenth amendment was devised to meet this exigency so too In the civil rights cases, it was said that the act of a mere individual, the owner of an inn, a public conveyance or place of amusement, refusing accommodations to colored people, cannot be justly regarded as imposing any badge of slavery or servitude upon the applicant, but only as involving an ordinary civil injury, properly cognizable by the laws of the state, and presumably subject to redress by those laws until the contrary appears it would be running the slavery question into the ground said mr justice bradley to make it apply to every act of discrimination which a person may see fit to make as to the guests he will entertain or as to the people he will take into his coach or cab or car or admit to his concert or theatre or deal with in other matters of intercourse or business a statute which implies merely a legal distinction between the white and colored races a distinction which is founded in the color of the two races, and which must always exist so long as white men are distinguished from the other race by color, has no tendency to destroy the legal equality of the two races, or re-establish a state of involuntary servitude. Indeed, we do not understand that the Thirteenth Amendment is strenuously relied upon by the plaintiff in error in this connection. Number 2 by the fourteenth amendment all persons born or naturalized in the united states and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are made citizens of the united states and of the state wherein they reside and the states are forbidden from making or enforcing any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the united states or shall deprive any person of life liberty or property without due process of law or deny to any person within their jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws the proper construction of this amendment was first called to the attention of this Court in the slaughterhouse cases, which involved, however, not a question of race, but one of exclusive privileges. The case did not call for any expression of opinion as to the exact rights it was intended to secure to the colored race, but it was said generally that its main purpose was to establish the citizenship of the Negro, to give definitions of citizenship of the United States and of the states and to protect from the hostile legislation of the states the privileges and immunities of citizens of the united states as distinguished from those of citizens of the states the object of the amendment was undoubtedly to enforce the absolute equality of the two races before the law but in the nature of things it could not have been intended to abolish distinctions based upon color or to enforce social as distinguished from political equality or a commingling of the two races upon terms unsatisfactory to either laws permitting and even requiring their separation in places where they are liable to be brought into contact do not necessarily imply the inferiority of either race to the other and have been generally if not universally recognized as within the competency of the state legislatures in the exercise of their police power the most common instance of this is connected with the establishment of separate schools for white and colored children which have been held to be a valid exercise of the legislative power even by courts of states where the political rights of the colored race have been longest and most earnestly enforced one of the earliest of these cases is that of roberts versus city of boston which the supreme judicial court of massachusetts held that the general school committee of boston had power to make provision for the instruction of colored children in separate schools established exclusively for them and to prohibit their attendance upon the other schools the great principle said chief justice shaw advanced by the learned and eloquent advocate for the plaintiff mr charles sumner is that by the constitution and laws of massachusetts all persons without distinction of age or sex birth or color origin or condition are equal before the law but, when this great principle comes to be applied to the actual and various conditions of persons in society it will not warrant the assertion that men and women are legally clothed with the same civil and political powers and that children and adults are legally to have the same functions and be subject to the same treatment but only that the rights of all as they are settled and regulated by law are equally entitled to the paternal consideration and protection of the law for their maintenance and security. It was held that the powers of the committee extended to the establishment of separate schools for children of different ages, sexes, and colors, and that they might also establish special schools for poor and neglected children, who have become too old to attend the primary school, and yet have not acquired the rudiments of learning to enable them to enter the ordinary schools. Similar laws have been enacted by Congress under its general power of legislation over the District of Columbia, as well as by the legislatures of many of the states, and have been generally if not uniformly sustained by the courts. Laws forbidding the intermarriage of the two races may be said in a technical sense to interfere with the freedom of contract, and yet have been universally recognized as within the police power of the state the distinction between laws interfering with the political equality of the negro and those requiring the separation of the two races in schools theaters and railway carriages has been frequently drawn by this court thus in strowder v west virginia it was held that a law of west virginia limiting to white male persons twenty-one years of age and citizens of the state the right to sit upon juries was a discrimination which implied a legal inferiority in civil society which lessened the security of the right of the colored race and was a step towards reducing them to a condition of servility indeed the right of a colored man that in the selection of jurors to pass upon his life liberty and property there shall be no exclusion of his race and no discrimination against them because of color has been asserted in a number of cases. So, where the laws of a particular locality, or the charter of a particular railway corporation, has provided that no person shall be excluded from the cars on account of color, we have held that this meant that persons of color should travel in the same car as white ones, and that the enactment was not satisfied by the company providing cars assigned exclusively to people of color, though they were as good as those which they assigned exclusively to white persons upon the other hand where a statute of louisiana required those engaged in the transportation of passengers among the states to give to all persons traveling within that state upon vessels employed in that business equal rights and privileges in all parts of the vessel without distinction on account of race or color and subjected to an action for damages The owner of such a vessel, who excluded colored persons on account of their color from the cabins set aside by him for the use of whites, it was held to be, so far as it applied to interstate commerce, unconstitutional and void. The court in this case, however, expressly disclaimed that it had anything whatever to do with the statute as a regulation of internal commerce or affecting anything else than commerce among the states. In the civil rights cases, it was held that an act of Congress entitling all persons within the jurisdiction of the United States to the full and equal enjoyment of the accommodations advantages facilities and privileges of inns public conveyances on land or water theaters and other places of public amusement and made applicable to citizens of every race and color regardless of any previous condition of servitude was unconstitutional and void upon the ground that the 14th Amendment was prohibitory upon the states only, and the legislation authorized to be adopted by Congress for enforcing it was not direct legislation on matters respecting which the states were prohibited from making or enforcing certain laws or doing certain acts, but was corrective legislation, such as might be necessary or proper for counteracting and redressing the effect of such laws or acts. In delivering the opinion of the court, Mr. Justice Bradley observed that the 14th Amendment does not invest Congress with power to legislate upon subjects that are within the domain of state legislation, but to provide modes of relief against state legislation, or state action, of the kind referred to. It does not authorize Congress to create a code of municipal law for the regulation of private rights, but to provide modes of redress against the operation of state laws and the action of state officers executive or judicial when these are subversive of the fundamental rights specified in the amendment positive rights and privileges are undoubtedly secured by the fourteenth amendment but they are secured by way of prohibition against state laws and state proceedings affecting those rights and privileges and by power given to congress to legislate for the purpose of carrying such prohibition into effect and such legislation must necessarily be predicated upon such supposed state laws or state proceedings and be directed to the correction of their operation and effect much nearer and indeed almost directly in point is the case of the louisville n o n t railway company versus state wherein the railway company was indicted for a violation of a statute of mississippi enacting that all railroads carrying passengers should provide equal but separate accommodations for the white and colored races by providing two or more passenger cars for each passenger train or by dividing the passenger cars by a partition so as to secure separate accommodations the case was presented in a different aspect from the one under consideration inasmuch as it was an indictment against the railway company for failing to provide the separate accommodations but the question considered was the constitutionality of the law in that case the supreme court of mississippi had held that the statute applied solely to commerce within the state and that being the construction of the state statute by its highest court was accepted as conclusive if it be a matter said the court respecting commerce wholly within a state and not interfering with commerce between the states then obviously there is no violation of the commerce clause of the federal constitution no question arises under this section as to the power of the state to separate in different compartments interstate passengers or affect in any manner the privileges and rights of such passengers All that we can consider is whether the State has the power to require that railroad trains within her limits shall have separate accommodations for the two races, that, affecting only commerce within the State, is no invasion of the power given to Congress by the Commerce Clause. A like course of reasoning applies to the case under consideration, since the Supreme Court of Louisiana, in the case of State versus Judge, held that the statute in question did not apply to interstate passengers, but was confined in its application to passengers traveling exclusively within the borders of the state. The case was decided largely upon the authority of Louisville NONT Railway Company v. State and affirmed by this court. In the present case, no question of interference with interstate commerce can possibly arise since the East Louisiana Railway appears to have been purely a local line, with both its termini within the state of Louisiana. Similar statutes for the separation of the two races upon public conveyances were held to be constitutional in Railroad vs. Miles, Day v. Owen, Railway Company v. Williams, Railroad Company v. Wells, Railroad Company v. Benson, The Sioux, logwood versus railroad company McGwin versus forbes people v. king Hauk versus railway company Heard versus railroad company while we think the enforced separation of the races as applied to the internal commerce of the state neither abridges the privileges or immunities of the colored man deprives him of his property without due process of law nor denies him the equal protection of the laws within the meaning of the fourteenth amendment we are not prepared to say that the conductor in assigning passengers to the coaches according to their race does not act at his peril or that the provision of the second section of the act that denies to the passenger compensation and damages for a refusal to receive him into the coach in which he properly belongs is a valid exercise of the legislative power indeed we understand it to be conceded by the state's attorney that such part of the act as exempts from liability the railway company and its officers is unconstitutional the power to assign to a particular coach obviously implies the power to determine to which race the passenger belongs as well as the power to determine who under the laws of the particular state is to be deemed a white and who a colored person this question though indicated in the brief of the plaintiff in error does not properly arise upon the record in this case since the only issue made is as to the unconstitutionality of the act so far as it requires the railway to provide separate accommodations and the conductor to assign passengers according to their race it is claimed by the plaintiff in error that in any mixed community the reputation of belonging to the dominant race in this instance the white race is property in the same sense that a right of action or of inheritance is property conceding this to be so for the purposes of this case we are unable to see how this statute deprives him of or in any way affects his right to such property if he be a white man and assigned to a colored coach he may have his action for damages against the company for being deprived of his so-called property upon the other hand if he be a colored man and be so assigned he has been deprived of no property since he is not lawfully entitled to the reputation of being a white man in this connection it is also suggested by the learned counsel for the plaintiff in error that the same argument that will justify the state legislature in requiring railways to provide separate accommodations for the two races will also authorize them to require separate cars to be provided for people whose hair is of a certain color or who are aliens or who belong to certain nationalities or to enact laws requiring colored people to walk upon one side of the street and white people upon the other or requiring white men's houses to be painted white and colored men's black or their vehicles or business signs to be of different colors, upon the theory that one side of the street is as good as the other, or that a house or vehicle of one color is as good as one of another color. The reply to all this is that every exercise of the police power must be reasonable, and extend only to such laws as are enacted in good faith for the promotion of the public good, and not for the annoyance or oppression of a particular class. Thus, in Yickwo v. Hopkins, it was held by this court that a municipal ordinance of the city of san francisco to regulate the carrying on of public laundries within the limits of the municipality violated the provisions of the constitution of the united states if it conferred upon the municipal authorities arbitrary power at their own will and without regard to discretion in the legal sense of the term to give or withhold consent as to persons or places without regard to the competency of the persons applying or the propriety of the places selected for the carrying on of the business it was held to be a covert attempt on the part of the municipality to make an arbitrary and unjust discrimination against the chinese race while this was the case of a municipal ordinance a like principle has been held to apply to acts of a state legislature passed in the exercise of the police power so far then as a conflict with the fourteenth amendment is concerned the case reduces itself to the question whether the statute of louisiana is a reasonable regulation and with respect to this there must necessarily be a large discretion on the part of the legislature in determining the question of reasonableness it is at liberty to act with reference to the established usages customs and traditions of the people and with a view to the promotion of their comfort and the preservation of the public peace and good order gauged by this standard we cannot say that a law which authorizes or even requires the separation of the two races in public conveyances is unreasonable or more obnoxious to the fourteenth amendment than the acts of congress requiring separate schools for colored children in the district of columbia the constitutionality of which does not seem to have been questioned or the corresponding acts of state legislatures we consider the underlying fallacy of the plaintiff's argument to consist in the assumption that the enforced separation of the two races stamps the colored race with the badge of inferiority if this be so it is not by reason of anything found in the act but solely because the colored race chooses to put that construction upon it the argument necessarily assumes that if as has been more than once the case and is not unlikely to be so again the colored race should become the dominant power in the state legislature and should enact a law in precisely similar terms it would thereby regulate the white race to an inferior position we imagine that the white race at least would not acquiesce in this assumption the argument also assumes that social prejudices may be overcome by legislation and that equal rights cannot be secured to the negro except by an enforced commingling of the two races we cannot accept this proposition If the two races are to meet upon terms of social equality, it must be the result of natural affinities, a mutual appreciation of each other's merits, and a voluntary consent of individuals. As was said by the Court of Appeals of New York, in People v. Gallagher, this end can neither be accomplished nor promoted by laws, which conflict with the general sentiment of the community upon whom they are designed to operate when the government therefore has secured to each of its citizens equal rights before the law and equal opportunities for improvement and progress it has accomplished the end for which it was organized and performed all the functions respecting social advantages with which it is endowed legislation is powerless to eradicate racial instincts or to abolish distinctions based upon physical differences and the attempt to do so can only result in accentuating the difficulties of the present situation if the civil and political rights of both races be equal one cannot be inferior to the other civilly or politically if one race be inferior to the other socially the constitution of the united states cannot put them upon the same plane it is true that the question of the proportion of colored blood necessary to constitute a colored person as distinguished from a white person is one upon which there is a difference of opinion in the different states some holding that any visible admixture of black blood stamps the person as belonging to the colored race others that it depends upon the preponderance of blood and still others that the predominance of white blood must only be in the proportion of three-fourths but these are questions to be determined under the laws of each state and are not properly put in issue in this case under the allegations of his petition It may undoubtedly become a question of importance whether, under the laws of Louisiana, the petitioner belongs to the white or colored race. The judgment of the court below is therefore affirmed. End of Part 1